0: I want to start this morning by telling another parable that Jesus used. I want to to start by using this parable. One day, there was a farmer who went out and scattered good seed in his field. But that night, when he went back and his servants were sleeping, their enemy came and scattered weed among the wheat seed that the farmer had laid down. And so when the wheat began to grow up, next to it grew up these weeds. And what made these weeds so much trouble was the fact that the weeds looked almost exactly like the wheat. And so you had the good wheat that was growing up, but you also had these weeds that were growing up that looked like the wheat. And so the farmer's servants come to him and say, do you want us to pull up these weeds? And the farmer says, no. Let the weeds and the wheat grow up together. And then when the time for the harvest comes, I'll send the reapers to gather the weeds, bundle them up, and prepare them for the fire, and then we will gather the wheat into my barn. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. All right, what's happening in verse 9? The preacher, the author says, though we speak in this way. Well, well, what way is he speaking? He's talking about the verses we discussed last week, one of those really hard warning passages in, in the book of, book of Hebrews. And there are times that we need warnings. There are times we need to be spoken directly to and forcefully to that draw us to repentance, that, that get us our ten- get our attention. Now, these warnings shouldn't lead us to give up. They shouldn't lead us to despair, but there are times we need to be warned. But this guy is a good pastor. He's a good preacher. He's a master of ancient rhetoric, and he knows that you can only yell at people for so long. (laughs) You can only use fear tactics for so long on people when you need to come along and you need to also comfort. And so what he does here is he says, we've given you this warning. We've spoken in this very direct way but when we think about you, be comforted. We believe your life is headed toward better things. Your life is headed toward salvation. There's a famous quote, a famous old quote about preaching that says, Good, for, good preaching should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So old school preachers would say this, Good preaching should comfort the afflicted, If you come into this room and you feel beaten up and you're going through difficulty in life and you're just at the end of your rope, you come in this room and you don't need somebody else to beat you up with the Word of God. You don't need somebody else to throw fear in front of you. You need a lifeline. You need a cup of cold water. You need comfort. And so we come to comfort you with the Word of God. But if you come in this room and you are prideful and you're apathetic and you don't care about living for the things of God— you need to feel the force of God's word. We need somebody to come and put their hand in our back and point us in the right direction. Sometimes you need an arm around the shoulder. Sometimes you need a hand to the back. Sometimes you need a warning. Sometimes you need to be comforted. Both of those are designed to move you on, to keep you going after Jesus. And so the preacher, he looks out at his congregation, and he thinks, how many of these folks are going to continue to follow Jesus? How many of these people are going to continue in the faith? And after last week, after we dealt with that hard warning passage, you might be thinking to yourself, where's the hope? Like, how can I know if somebody's going to continue to follow after Jesus or not? If you've ever been to the beginning of a hiking trail, and you get to the beginning of a hiking trail, and you see this group of college guys pile out, you know, pour out of a van and it looks like they want a shopping spree to REI and they just have all the gear, you know, and they're, and they're decked out and they're ready to go on the hike. And then you see the family like pile out of their minivan and the mom's carrying three kids and the stroller and, and you look at those two groups of people and you're like, which of those groups is going to complete the hike? Like, which of those groups do you think is going to make it all the way through? Oh, it's not the college guys. Like, you know, they're going to prick their finger on a cactus and it's all over. Like, that mom who can, like, catch balloons and carry kids and strollers, they're making it to the end of the the path. And so this pastor, he looks out of his church and he says, I wonder what the markers are for those who are going to continue on in the faith, those who are going to continue on to salvation. This morning, if you're here and you struggle with doubt, and uncertainty, these verses are a good gift. If you're here and it seems like all of your friends, all of your family tends to turn away from Jesus, turn away from the church, I hope these verses are a comfort and an encouragement to you. So what we're trying to answer, there's two points, two main points to the sermon. What we're trying to answer this morning is why do we have confidence that our lives will move on towards salvation? Why can we have confidence that we will continue in the faith? Well, look at verse 10, and it'll tell you. Number one will pop out very quickly. Number 10, verse 10. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So when the pastor, when he looks out of his congregation and says, I don't think you're going to fall away. I think you guys, beloved, my friends, I think you're going to keep going. You're going to continue to follow Jesus. You're going to continue to believe. And the reason I think that is not because I believe in you. It's because I believe in you. His confidence for his church has nothing to do with how great his church is. And some of you are pretty great. Like, you know, a few of you. Are, are, you, guys are, you guys are pretty great. He is really great. And the reason I have confidence that you will continue to follow Jesus, that you will continue to believe, is because of how good God is. And his confidence for salvation in these verses is based in God's character. And it begins right here with this idea that God is not unjust. What does that mean? It means that God is not the fickle, impossible-to-please coach or parent or spouse. God is not impossible to please. He's not playing hard to get. God is just. He sees your life. He sees what's going on. And so the pastor, one of the reasons he has confidence, they're going to continue to go in the future is he looks back at their life and he says, man, you guys love to serve people. And when you do this work, you're not doing it to earn salvation. You're doing it from a place of love. And you're not doing it for your own purposes. What are you doing it? You're doing it for his name. And you serve the saints. You serve those people who are a part of the church. And it's not just something you did in the past, it's something you continue to do. You're still serving. And so I look at Emmaus, and I see a group of people who have served this community well in the past. And you're not doing it because you're trying to earn salvation. You love people, and you do it for the glory of God. And it's not just something we've done in the past, it's something we still do today. And so I have confidence for better things for you. I have confidence that your life is moving towards salvation, that you will remain devoted to Jesus. Verse 11, look at verse 11 there. He continues this thought and he says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. This is the idea. One of the reasons he has confidence that they will continue to keep going is because they're surrounded by people who will help them keep going. <laughs> they are surrounded by people who want to see them keep going. This is a very simple idea, but it, it matters to us. Who you surround yourself with will have a lot to do with whether or not you are encouraged to continue to follow Jesus. Jesus. Do you have people around you who say, I want you to keep following Jesus. I want you to continue to show diligence. And the more you do that, the more you live out your faith, the more your hope grows. Um, In his commentary on this, this passage, Al Mohler has a really fascinating quote that he uses to talk about this. And I hadn't really thought about it in this way. I've got this quote up on the screen. I have a couple of quotes for you this morning. If you just want me to send them to you, you don't have to write them down. I'll send them to you. Email me and and I'll send them your way. But here's the quote One of the most important catalysts, and kids, if you're in the room and you don't know the word catalyst, it's just something that helps you keep moving forward, it's something that helps you keep going. So, one of the most important catalysts of spiritual confidence is spiritual fruitfulness. Our faithful activity as Christians fuels our assurance. As diligence in their faith grows, so too will their fullness of hope until the last day. If you're working on a project, or even more directly, if you're working on a diet, you know one of the things that helps you keep going is when you see results, (laughs) like you're like, I'm really working on this. Like I I promise I'm giving my very best to this through this diet or this project. And when I'm working on it, when I'm seeing things happen, man, that gives me confidence. That gives me inspiration to keep going. And the author is telling them, when I look at your life, I want you to continue to be active in your faith because as you're active in your faith, your hope is going to grow. Your confidence is gonna grow that God is at work, that he's doing things. And that continues to move you ahead in the future. Verse 12, look at another way that God is not unjust, but God cares for them. He's, he's at work in their lives. Verse 12, what's the purpose of this? So that you may not be sluggish. That connects us back to verse five, or chapter five, the idea of being spiritually lazy, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So when he looks out at his congregation, He says, I think you guys are going to keep going in the faith because you have examples you can look to and they've kept going in their faith. This is one of the 10,000 reasons I, I love Emmaus so much. Because what you need in the church is you need a younger generation that has all of this diligence and all of this fire and all of this energy and you need an older generation that says, Man, I love being around those people. I love that excitement. I love that fuel. But you need an older generation that says, "Hold on, Sparky. Uh, I've been there before. Like I know what it's like to go through life. I've I've been around the block a time or two. I've got some perspective. I've built up some endurance. I've built up some wisdom. I know what it's like to lose a child. I know what it's like to lose a job. I know what it's like for your family to abandon you. I know what it's like to go through that difficulty." and I've built up some endurance. I've built up some patience, and what makes a church so good is when you have both of those elements together. You've got people serving, you've got people diligently living out their faith, you've got people excited about the Lord, and you are surrounded by this cloud of wisdom that says, let me make sure you got a clear perspective on that. Because what is it aiming at? Faith and patience. How will you keep going in your Christian life? Faith and patience. What do we generally struggle with in life? Faith and patience. <laughs> like those are things that we're not, we're not particularly strong on. Uh, I was working on this part of the sermon on Thursday afternoon. I was over at that library on 134th and Penn. Um, I was at that library. I was working on it. It got to be about 5 o'clock, and I needed to rush over and, and pick up one of my kids. And so I go to turn left, Onto to 134th out of that library to go back toward Penn. For some reason, it narrows to one lane right there, and so cars are backed up forever. And so, like, there's just no way I'm going to be able to turn left there. And, and I'm, I'm kind of behind at this point, so I'm like, okay, I've got an idea. I will turn right on 134th and go back west, and then I'll go south on May, and then I'll come back east on 149th. Did you know that 149th Street before, between May and Penn is like a parking lot at 5 o'clock in the afternoon? And did you also know that the preacher just finished working on the part of his sermon about patience? And, and at this point, do you know what I have none of is patience. Like, and, and so I'm sitting in the car. I'm mad. I'm behind. And the Lord's like, hey, just, just remember uh, <laughs> what we just talked about, like this idea that we're going to grow in patience, we're going to grow in endurance, like we're, we're going to be able to do these things. The way you continue in your Christian faith is you build up endurance. You build up patience. You grow in those ways. How do you grow in those ways? You have people around you who set a good example for you to say, keep going. Now here's what the author's going to do. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to give you an example of faith and patience, and he's also going to transition to the second point about God's character. So watch watch what happens in verse 13. This is the second point, the second part of God's character, but it also continues that theme of patience. Verse 13, "...for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself." Okay, your second point, the second reason when I look out at my church, I think, man, these guys are going to make it. Like, they're going to continue to follow Jesus. The reason I think that's true is because God is trustworthy. He keeps his promises. Kids in the room, some of you guys may have made a pinky promise with a friend and they did not keep that pinky promise I hate to tell you that it continues into adulthood. Adults, you may have made a pinky promise with somebody in your life, and they did not keep that promise. God keeps his promises. He does not lie. He does not change. He who called you is faithful, and he will surely do it. The reason you will be able to continue in your faith is because God is so good. And he is so faithful, and he is so trustworthy. And what the author does in this verse is he introduces two key words that he's going to play on. He's going to keep these words going. It's the word promise and the word oath, or or swearing an oath. So it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God's promises that he's made and the way that he has sworn this promise one very quick aside before we move to verse 14. I know some of you get together in small groups and Bible study groups and pray together. Uh, My wife does this a lot with, with her Bible study groups, but one great thing to do on a piece of paper or maybe in the front of your Bible, one great thing to do is to go through scripture and just write out some of the promises of God. When you, when you go through the Bible and you, and you write out those promises of God and you keep them somewhere, make, it, make a note on your phone, write them in your front of your Bible, write them in a prayer journal. As you write out those promises of God, you see his character. You see how good and faithful he is. And then when life is not going well, you go back to that stability. You go back to those promises to, to hold on to. Okay, what promise is he making right here? Well, look at verse 14. Look at what promise God's making in verse 14. He says to Abraham, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. This promise that God gives to Abraham, he gives it first in Genesis chapter 12, but what he's really pointing to in this verse is Genesis chapter 22. And this is that very hard story in the Old Testament where Abraham is told to take his son Isaac, his only son, up onto the mountain and to sacrifice Isaac. And then the Lord steps in at what looks like the last moment and provides a ram, provides a sacrifice. And it says that the Lord is testing Abraham's faith at this point. And on the other side of that situation, when God provides the sacrifice, he makes this promise again, where he says, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And Abraham, because of his faith, because of his trust, he obtains the promise of God. He is able to experience God's work in his life. Now look at verse 16. Verse 16. It says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Now you hear that verse, and you might say, whoa, time out. Didn't Jesus tell us in the New Testament, that we shouldn't swear, that we shouldn't swear oaths. That's correct, absolutely. So why would God be doing that right here? Well, the next verse tells you. Verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Here's the key, here's the key. The Lord made an oath, he swore an oath, not for his purposes, but for our purposes, so that we would be able to know, so we would have confirmed for us in all of our human weakness and struggles that he is true, and he is good. Because look at the next verse that it leads into. Look at verse 18. What's the purpose of God doing that? So that by two unchangeable things, you're like, uh, what are those two things? Promise and oath. Promise and oath an oath. He's just set us up for this. These two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Man, take a bath in it. Brush your teeth with it, put it in your smoothie, fuel up your car with it, write it on your tombstone. Like, that's a verse. (laughs) That is a verse to hold on to. Sometimes on the screen behind me, I'll underline certain words. I'd underline the entire verse and it looked kind of silly. So I just took off all the underline and I'm just telling you to take a bath in that verse and to write it on your tombstone. It is the verse to hold on to. You can trust God. You may have been burned in your life by church. You may have been burned in your life by friends or family. God does not lie. He is faithful and true. He will uphold his promises. And so when we run to him in refuge, we have great encouragement that we can hold on to the hope of salvation, that he will keep his promises, that he will lead us toward salvation. What does that hope look like? Well, look at verse 19. Verse 19 and 20, they give us two pictures of what this hope looks like. Verse 19 we have this, first half of 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Man, that's a great image. The hope that we have in the Lord, the hope that we have in his promises is like an anchor for our life. So you may feel in your life that you're being thrown around by winds and storms and everything is trying to take you off course and God's promises are an anchor for your life, an anchor for your soul. Everything in life feels like it's falling apart, and the one thing that will not fall apart is God's character, his promises, his hope that he has given us through Jesus. And what do we know about this hope? Look at the middle of verse 19. It's not only an anchor, but it's a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What in the world is that talking about? That's talking about going into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest was allowed to go once per year. But now, our hope is able to go into that part of the temple to draw near to God's presence. Why? How is that possible? Well, it's because Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right, what's the imagery here? The imagery is in your present circumstances right now, God's promises are an anchor for your life. They provide stability for your life. But then there's a part of you that says, okay, that's cool for right now, but what about the future? Like, I've never been out to the future. What would it be like if someone else walked this path of salvation in front of me? And maybe they wrote a great review on the All Trails app. and they told you where all the obstacles were, and they told you how to get there, and they went ahead of you and they placed some water and granola bars and Snickers, you know, ahead, and you're gonna make it on this path because they're leading you forward. It'd be great if we had a forerunner who did that. This word for a forerunner is is like the word for a scout, for someone who goes ahead of a military operation and prepares the way, or someone who goes ahead of the race and clears out the people so you're able to make it in the race. This is what Jesus did for you. He has gone ahead. He has gone in front. And he has made a way that leads to salvation. He has gone where one day you will go. And even now, that can be true because of our hope in him. And so this morning, these verses, the call is very simple. You are able to have confidence for your life, and you are able to have confidence for the future, Because God is just. He is good. He's at work in your life. And because of the fact that he is trustworthy. And he has made a way that leads to salvation. So what does that mean for your life? Well, number one, and most importantly, it means to trust in Jesus for salvation. Trust in Jesus for the future. Trust in Jesus that he provides hope for your life. And when you trust in Jesus, you respond to him in baptism, that your baptism is a marker of that confidence, a marker along the way, that you gather with the church to celebrate and to remember and to take the Lord's Supper, and that you say, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep following after Jesus because he has gone where God is calling me to go, and he has prepared the way. And so what we're going to do as a church this morning is we are going to gather around the table, we're going to come and receive the bread and the juice and we do this hear me out clearly okay don't don't misunderstand what i'm about to say we do this as a marker of the confidence we have for salvation and remember that confidence when when you take this juice and this bread this morning That is not saying anything about you. Your confidence is not in yourself. When you participate in the Lord's Supper this morning, you are saying, my confidence is in Jesus. The reason I have hope for salvation, the reason I have hope for the future, is because of what he has done for me. And it is so special that we get to celebrate that as a church this morning. Let me pray for you, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together and celebrate that. Father, thank you for the book of Hebrews. Thank you for this book that calls us together as a church. Thank you for this book that has these hard warnings that need to get our attention. Sometimes in life, we're going sideways, we're struggling, we're falling away from the way that is right, and we need somebody to intervene, somebody to get our attention. And God, there are also other times that we just need to be comforted. We need confidence that you are in control and that you have provided the path for the future. And so God, we we come together this morning and we celebrate the confidence that we have in Jesus. And so Father, as we prepare to come and take the cup, take this bread, what we are reminded of is Jesus has gone before us. He has defeated sin and death and he reigns over all things and so we can trust in him. And so whatever is going on in our life right now, God, this truth is a great anchor and source of stability for our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.